Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. If you'd like to find out more information about the church, you can visit our website. That information will be available to you at the conclusion of today's devotional. Uh, today is Wednesday, July 5th, 2023. This is edition number 110 of season 8. We continue looking at the Westminster Confession of Faith. We're in chapter 20, and today we're going to consider paragraph number 2. Let's pray together first, and then we'll look at these very important uh, truths uh, found in paragraph 2 of chapter 20 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Let's pray. Father, as we again come to your word, as we come to understand it further. We thank you for the men that you have used throughout uh, the history of the church to teach us and guide us uh, through the very difficult things that your word does present at times to us. We pray that your spirit would guide and direct us. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that he who penned these words is also pleased to teach us what they mean. And may we then therefore hear what the spirit has to say. May we do what he says May you grant us the grace to walk in accordance to your word, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, we've already considered paragraph number one. We did that over uh, the course of two uh, devotionals. Now we come to paragraph number two, which reads, God alone is Lord of the conscience and hath left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men, which are in anything contrary to his word or beside it, if matters of faith or worship so that to believe such doctrines or to obey such commands out of conscience is to betray true liberty of conscience, and the requiring of an implicit faith and an absolute and blind obedience is to destroy liberty of conscience and reason also. Here we come to a very important subject within the frame of this particular chapter on Christian liberty and liberty of uh, conscience. We, we've already taken note that this liberty is, has been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ that consists in our freedom from the guilt of sin, the condemning wrath of God, the curse of the moral law, and in their being delivered from this present evil world, bondage to Satan and dominion of sin, from the evil of afflictions, the sting of death, the victory of the grave, and everlasting damnation. But it also adds to us uh, free access to God and yielding obedience unto Him, not out of a slavish fear, but a childlike love and willing mind. Now, these things were all common to the believers in the Old Testament. They are expanded upon in the New Testament era. We are freed from the ceremonial laws, no longer needing them because of the work that Jesus Christ has performed. Paragraph 2 comes to a subject in which... Um, we deal with areas of the Christian life in which well-meaning Christians oftentimes place in bondage God's people to commandments and doctrines of men that the Bible itself no law, nowhere teaches. Um, and we need to be very careful about those particular matters. Again, using Dr. Chad Van Dixhorn's commentary on, confess, on the Westminster Confession of Faith, titled Confessing the Faith, page 263, he writes, the first thing we are told is that there is only one true Lord over our consciences, the God who is Lord over all. It is he alone who made us in his image. There is only one lawgiver and judge. James chapter 4 and verse 12, there is only, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest 
another. Now, we need to be careful here that we do not say more than the confession says. We are not saying that we cannot judge. Uh, we are not saying what our culture and our world repeatedly re, re, uh, throws in front of us as Christians when we make assessments or judgments about the moral lives of other people. This is not the point at all. The point is, is that to place in judgment over against others those things that the Lord himself would not place over against his people. I'm going to get to some examples of those in just a few minutes. We also read in Romans chapter 14, verses 4 and 10, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Again, highlighting and underscoring by way of analogy and also direct statement that the Lord himself is the Lord of the conscience. Now, it goes on, the confession goes on to say, It hath left it free then therefore from the doctrines and commandments of men which are in anything contrary to his word or beside it if matters of faith or worship. Now, within the life of the church, there are many such doctrines and commandments of men that some well-meaning Christians seek to place in front of God's people as though God himself has actually said it. And we need to be very careful about those things because it can bleed into legalism. It can bleed into a measure or standard of faith that God, who is the giver of faith, the one who grants faith to his people, nowhere says or nowhere holds his people accountable toward in life, faith, or in practice, and especially in worship. Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And then in Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, this is Jesus speaking, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Okay, so here we have in clear words, clear statement, um, a matter in which the religious leaders of that day were holding up against the traditions that they held to as somehow well-meaning and useful. However, Jesus takes them to task for that, for they wash not their hands when they eat bread, but he answered and said unto them, Why do you transgress the commandments of God by your tradition? So the commandments of God are placed over against the traditions of men, and when they do not agree, when there is separation, then we ought to obey God rather than men. And he says, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou say, um, <clears throat> by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandments of God of none effect by your tradition. And so this is uh, the point that is being made here in the confession of faith. It is to, to obey or to believe these doctrines is out of conscience, is to betray the very liberty of conscience that God has given to you. Now let me give you some examples of these. I'm certainly not an exhaustive list by any means, but it's just ones that come to mind very quickly. First, how we educate our children. There are some well-meaning Christians today that absolutely insist that the Word of God teaches that you must homeschool your children. The Bible does not teach that, and it's not there. 
Now, it's a, it may be a, a worthy enterprise for your family to engage. It may be useful for your family. It may even be appropriate and, in fact, necessary for you. And if that's the case, whatever is not done in faith is sin, and you must follow your conscience in this area. But to place that same rule and regulation over against other people in the church as though they must follow the same rule that you yourself have come to and then try to make the Bible say something it never says is to betray true liberty of conscience is to place your brothers and sisters in bondage. And I've seen it many times and I've actually seen it split a church. We need to be very careful. There are some people by, by providence and according to certain aspects of God's providence who are unable to do what they might like to do but cannot do for various reasons. There may be some others who should never homeschool their children because they do not have the discipline or the wherewithal to actually accomplish these things. If God wanted us to only homeschool our children, he would have told us so very plainly for certainly it's an important subject. Now, we have too many examples in the Bible of people who were educated by the, as it were, the world, the pagan system, the government schools. You've got Paul with Gamaliel. You've got Daniel in the house of Nebuchadnezzar, and on it goes, even Moses. So we need to be very careful that we do not lay against other people rules and regulations that God nowhere says. Another one. There are many well-meaning people in the church that say you should never drink. Alcohol is forbidden by the Bible. Well, the fact is it's not. The fact is drunkenness is forbidden. Drunkenness is the sin. Having an occasional drink, if that is something that you feel free to do as a Christian, then you have every right to do that, and no one should hold a law up against you that says you shall not do that. The Bible does not teach prohibition. It teaches temperance. It teaches moderation. And that is what we need to keep always in front of us. Now, the list can go on and on and on. I've seen other well-meaning Christians make statements and arguments about the worship of God and things that must be done, and the Bible nowhere teaches it. For instance, exclusive psalmody. It is not taught. People that are rampant and militant about this idea that we can only sing psalms in worship well being, well, uh, though they are well meaning in their expression of it, they sometimes and oftentimes place others in bondage to these things that the Bible does not emphatically express or teach and therefore destroys true liberty of conscience. Now, we also need to be careful that we do not appeal to the liberty of conscience in matters that God has plainly stated. For instance, we cannot say that our conscience is bound to the fact that I do not think I need to go to public worship. The Bible teaches the necessity of public worship, and you ought to be there, and you cannot use the conscience card to evade worship on the Lord's Day. And there are other such matters like this in which we need to rightly assess what the Scriptures teach. We must obey God rather than men. Again, I am not saying that if your conscience rooted rightly in the Word of God, and you believe that you should do certain things like abstain from, from drink or teach your children at home, those are things that you have to answer for yourself. And if that's what you think you should do, then by all means you should do. For whatever is not done in faith is indeed sin. So we need to be very careful. We do not make these kinds of statements in the church and cause dissension and trouble for others. You may have good ideas, you may have certain wisdom as to it pertains to certain things, but we must be very careful that we do not proclaim, thus saith the Lord, into areas that is just not the case. 
It goes on in the, the confession, it goes on to say that if these things are true, we actually betray the true liberty of conscience. Now, some scripture references to that, Colossians chapter 2 and 20 to 23, Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of, a show of wisdom in, in will worship in humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Another example within the life of the church, and especially in worship, that I've seen used as a battering ram against others in the church, and that is the following of the so-called liturgical calendar. Again, that is a tradition of men. If your church wants to follow that calendar, then so be it. Um, but there are other churches, there are other ministers of the gospel, there are other elders who believe that that has been done away with and rooted in the work in, of Christ, and in fact it has. And, to, and for some, they believe that there is absolutely no necessity, as Christ has given two ordinances in the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, by which we must follow. Those things have been commanded of the Savior. And so again, we need to be very careful how we apply these things. And so... Um, we cannot, as Dr. Van Dixhorn plainly states here, we cannot submit at the same time to the world's regulations for religion as well as to God. And to ask, as he continues to write, to ask for an absolute obedience in areas where the Bible is silent is to ask for a blind obedience that quickly destroys liberty of conscience. It also destroys our reason. And such extra-biblical requirements confuse us, leading people to doubt, to act out of guilt, and sometimes to act against what they believe. And so, my friends, we need to be very careful in this area. I know and I understand that people are well-meaning in these things. Uh, I, I've, I've had experience with people that insist that women must wear dresses all the time. Uh, the Bible teaches it, and that therefore, if you ladies aren't wearing dresses, you're in sin. I, I've heard these things. Um, the Bible does not teach that. Um, it teaches modesty. And so we need to be very careful. Yes, indeed, we must be modest in our apparel. We must be modest in our dress. We must be appropriate to the way we present ourselves, given the circumstances. The Bible nowhere teaches that you have to wear, ladies, that you have to wear dresses 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It doesn't teach that. And to insist that it does and, and, and place other people under that bondage is nothing but bondage. And we need to be careful that we do not place our brothers and sisters in these areas. Again, if you want to do it, have at it. But you're not more holy and you're not more spiritual because you do. That is to betray true liberty of conscience. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope they are. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so until the Thursday edition, when we continue looking at chapter 20, taking up paragraph number three, I trust the Lord to help you today that he'll help you rightly divide the word of truth when it comes to these kinds of issues and that you'll walk according to that which he has actually said. God bless.